continue this morning our series. Actually, not just are we going to continue it, but we're going to conclude this month's series on life apps. Life apps. We've been talking for the last three weeks, plus this week makes four, the month of July, about three different life apps and how they apply to our life. And in case maybe you've missed a, a, a week or two, or maybe because it's summer, you found yourself daydreaming and, uh, and maybe not completely awake all the time. That's okay. It happens to all of us. Uh, I just want to kind of give you the summary of what this whole series is about. Why are we doing this? What is this all about? What is, what is life apps? What does it have to do with my life? Anyways, here's what it is. How many of you have ever signed up for a gym membership? Be honest. How many of you have ever bought a treadmill or an elliptical or weights and have them at home? Okay. So all of you that put your hand up, when you signed up for that membership, how did you feel? You felt like you were good. You felt healthy. Right? When you bought that, let me tell you a little story. When we moved up here, my parents were getting rid of an elliptical. And I said, yeah, we'll take it. I just felt like I was going to get in shape. I know some of you are saying, you're not in shape? No, I'm not in shape. And I bought this. I didn't buy it. I got this elliptical. It delivered to my house, house. And all of a sudden, I started to feel healthier. I started to feel better about myself. A year and a half later, I've been on it once. But there's this thought in my mind that because I own a piece of, a, of gym equipment or because I bought a membership once and I got the workout suit and the shorts and the, and the Under Armour shirt and the right, uh, what do you call those things, jogging shoes? I don't wear them anymore, running shoes. And I got all that stuff and I was convinced that I was healthier. I wasn't any healthier but in my mind, I thought I was. That's the whole idea of this series. In our spiritual lives, we hear all these great things to do. We hear about rest. We hear about trust. We hear about encouragement. But we never do anything about it. So we think we're good, but we're really not. Because application, actually doing something about it, makes all the difference. Week one, when we started this series, we talked about it. We talked about how James brother of Jesus and Jesus both said, you can't just hear what I say, but you have to do something with it. That application is everything. That application is what makes all the difference. Not just owning the elliptical in your house makes you healthier. Not just having apps on your phone to tell you how many calories the Big Mac is makes you any healthier. You have to choose not to eat it and do something about it. That application makes all the difference. And we have worked on two apps and one more this week that I believe will help us significantly if we choose to do one thing. Apply it to our lives. Week two, Pastor Andrew talked about the rest app. Talked about how we need to find rest in Jesus. He talked about how our rest comes from him. And it's a significant piece of the busyness of life. Day, running, 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 running. Finding an opportunity just to breathe. And just to rest in his presence. To find rest and fellowship in family and community. It was powerful and challenging. And the challenge and the application was, how can you find rest? And like I said last week, 
man, oh man, it's been one of those weeks where I just struggle to find that rest. But I think if we begin to apply it, it will refresh us. It'll change our lives and transform us. Last week, we talked about the trust app. And we didn't talk about trust between our trust in God, but our trust in relationships. And how trust is the bedrock of all relationships. Without trust, there's suspicion and doubt. But trust is foundational. We, we, we saw this illustration that we have this expectation and we have this experience. And in between that, what we expect and what we experience, there's a gap. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. But we need to, we choose how we fill that gap and we need to choose to fill it with trust instead of suspicion or doubt. We need to believe the best, not assume the worst. This morning we're going to talk about encouragement. The encouragement app. How many of you like encouragement? Anybody who doesn't put their hand up is lying because everyone loves encouragement. I remember youth programs, and these were these were like the the highlight of of youth nights Sunday when we had what we called our encouragement circle. You know what the encouragement circle was, where you sat in a circle and you looked to the person to your right and you shared some form of encouragement about that person. It's crazy how good that is and how uplifting that is. You know when you even if I even if I'm terrible at something. And someone says, man, you're doing a good job. I'm like, I'm going to work harder. Because encouragement goes a long way. I was on a mission trip with a bunch of teenagers. We were in, uh, we were in Vermont. And we were painting a house. Well, actually, we were peeling off old paint. If you've ever had to peel off old paint from a wooden house, it's awful. And we're scraping it down, and it's hot, and it's just like... And I, I went around... And one of the things that, that, that the way I'm wired is I went around and I was just like, hey, Heidi, has anybody told you you're doing a good job? And she's looked down at me and she's like, no. And then all of a sudden she's like ripping down half the house with pain. And I looked to the next person and I walked around continually offering encouragement. Why? Because encouragement, everyone loves it and it lifts people up. It's, it's, I love it. I mean, if I'm doing a terrible job, I am no good at construction work. But if I'm working away and I'm bashing my hands with hammers and somebody who knows what they're doing says, man, you're doing a really good job. I'm like, yes, and I keep going and I work harder. And I make bigger messes and more disasters that they clean up for me afterwards. But encouragement really lifts people up. And everyone really, really, really loves encouragement. If you say you don't, well, I don't, I, I, I think you're telling a bit of a fib because encouragement goes a long ways. In fact, I had a, High school coach, grade nine, high school volleyball coach, Mr. O'Connor. Mr. O'Connor, I'd never met the man before in my life until volleyball season started. And I was a small, scrawny, short grade nine who got picked on. And I tried out for the volleyball team. It was a grade nine, ten junior volleyball team. I tried out for the team. And Mr. O'Connor would continually encourage me every time I walked out of the change room, every time I walked onto the court, every time I picked a ball up, every time I hit the ball, every time I smashed the ball into the net because I couldn't jump high enough to hit the ball over the net. 
And he continued to encourage me and continued to encourage me and continued to tell me I'm doing a good job, continued to tell me that that was a great set, that was a great bump, that was a great play. You know, he would continue to encourage me and encourage me. And I actually found myself really enjoying playing volleyball. But more than that, I found myself really enjoying playing for a coach that was so encouraging. Encouragement can make people do a whole lot more than what they think they can. And I want to talk about that this morning because encouragement is one of those things that seems to get lost in our culture. Encouragement gets lost in our workplaces. Sometimes it even gets lost in our churches. In fact, there's been a study by this institute called the Gottman Institute. And they've done research on conversations and how criticism versus encouragement in conversations. And they found something that was very scary, that was very... uh, mind-boggling for me and profound and, and really challenging in my, in my heart when they talked about conversations. And I want to illustrate it a little bit so that maybe we can see it a little more than just numbers. So I want to talk to you. Here's what they found. They found that in our conversations we have encouragement and we have criticism. And they said that in their studies, what they found is that for every one time that someone says, Man, you're doing a great job. You're doing a really good job. There's this. You're terrible. You don't know what you're doing. You stink at this job. Are you dumb? Ooh, just put lots of water. You're a waste of time. You're good for nothing. And they found that in conversations, for every one word of encouragement, there's six words of criticism. Imagine that. You all work in the workplace, whether you're an employer or an employee. You all have family. You all have Relationships outside of church, you all have relationships inside of church. The statistics tell us that in our conversation, there are six words of criticism to every one word of encouragement. How damaging is that? How crazy is that? And, and, and it, it, like, we've all been there. They've gone further in their study to say this, that they believe that as they look at this study and as they review it a little further and as they um, begin to piece things together, that they say, if we could just change the culture just a little bit, that there's actually this, what they put in quotations, magic formula. And it applies in businesses, it applies in marriage, it applies in families. And they're saying, this is what our culture says, that for every one word of uh, encouragement, there's six words of criticism. They said, if you could just wrap your head around this and this thought, if you could just put this into practice, that for every time that you said, man, you are terrible at that, you actually said, you did a great job. Keep up the good work. I'm really glad you're part of our team. Thank you for doing what you do. Man, 
that outfit looks really good on you. That if they change the dynamic from six to one and went to this magic formula of five words of encouragement to every one word of criticism, that it would actually change your relationships. Now, I know some of you are saying that can't be true. Well, try it out in your workplace the next day. Try it tomorrow. Just, just sit and listen to the conversations. And you'll hear this. Six words of criticism. One word of encouragement. But if you did this, how much different would your workplace be? Like, think about it for a second. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, that's great. I encourage all the time. Do you really? Or do you just think you do? Oftentimes we drift to here even in the church world. So we have to understand this, that encouragement in fact is important. And you go, yeah, 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 I know that, I get that. I know that encouragement is important because I like encouragement. No, 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 hear me. Encouragement is very important. Because if we don't view encouragement as important or urgent, then this is what happens. If encouragement is not urgent, we drift towards criticism. Natural course of life. If we don't view encouragement as urgent, we will drift towards criticism. If we don't view this formula as significant and important and urgent in our conversations, we will naturally drift right here. Because this is what our culture is feeding us. If we don't see this encouragement as important, urgent, and necessary, then we are going to be in this boat over here before we know it, and all we're going to be doing is criticizing, 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 instead of encouraging. Criticism often overrides encouragement because we don't value it, we don't think it's important. But we need to shift our mind just a little bit. We need to transform our thinking and make encouragement urgent. Not, not just going, yeah, yeah, I know I need to encourage. You go, no, I really need to encourage. It needs to be urgent that the words I speak are encouraging and up, uplifting because if not, I'll find myself over here instead of here. In your marriage, those of you that are married, if your marriage drifts to this all the time. I'm going to tell you something. And I'm only 10 years into marriage. But I'm going to tell you something. If it drifts here. It is in line for disaster. Because all you're doing now. Is picking your spouse apart. But. If it goes here. And not just flattery. Being sincere. If it goes here. I promise you. It will change your relationship with your family, with your spouse, with your bosses, with your employees, with your church family. If encouragement is not urgent, we will drift towards criticism. Proverbs. We get an incredible piece of insight. It says this. The first part of Proverbs 11 verse 25 says, A generous person will prosper. That's good to know. Listen how the line, listen to the proverb, how it follows up. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 
Some translations say replenishes others will be replenished. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, I believe that this doesn't just apply financially or with money, but I believe that it applies with this. If we refresh people with encouragement and encouragement, then we'll be refreshed. But if we... I don't want to use the word refresh with criticism because that doesn't go together. But if all we do is criticize, criticize, and all we're going to get is criticism, criticism, criticism. We need to change the way that we think. We need to change the way that we process. We need to change the way that we communicate. You see, these, all these life apps are about transformation. They're about changing the way that we think. Because if we don't view encouragement as urgent, we'll drift towards criticism. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If we can get our head around this, it'll change our relationships. And if we all got our head around this, it will change the dynamic of the family. And think of the way that it would change the community. Because I believe that God speaks of encouragement of us, not criticism. What if we spoke of encouragement of others, not criticism? Some of you say, oh, encouragement. Oh, encouragement. I like it, but it can be too flattery. I like it, but it's kind of just a small thing I can do. You know what? A simple thank you makes a huge difference. A, a simple you're doing a good job makes a huge difference. Why? Because encouragement is never small. It's never small when you're on the receiving end of it. When you're receiving encouragement, it's never small. Even though in your head you go, oh man, I'm just going to tell him he's doing a good job. That's like nothing. No, no, no. When you're receiving it, it's never small. Think about when someone's encouraged you. To that other person, it may have been this little simple thing. But to you, it was huge. I had a hockey coach that would encourage me that would challenge me. He was my goalie coach and we'd work back and forth and, and he would just, man, what a great save he made. What a great thing he did. I mean, always encouraging. You know how big that was to me? It may have meant nothing to him, but to me it was huge because encouragement is never small when you're on the receiving end of it. We need to change the way we think. We need to move from this cultural position of six criticisms to one encouragement to this new normal of five encouragements to one criticism. I would love to say no criticism. But this is just the way statistics are being unfolded. Encouragement app about changing the way that we think. Okay, so why do we encourage others then? Why do we do this? Why do we encourage others what's the point of this why and what i'm trying to do here is to stir you a little bit to get you to think okay i need to change the way i think and then i need to apply this app into my life because if i don't apply it all i get is head knowledge and i feel healthy because i have a treadmill but i don't do anything about it why do we encourage others and i'd like to suggest a few things to you this morning as to why we encourage others look at them from scripture and how we see encouragement making a difference in other people so why do we encourage others we do it this way We do it to keep people from quitting. We do it to keep people from quitting. From quitting what? Well, from primarily from quitting the faith. We see that in Scripture. From quitting uh, in the middle of, of struggle or in the middle of pain or in the middle of hurt. We encourage others to keep people from quitting. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Look at what this 
letter tells us. He says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. But then the letter goes on to say, Encourage the disheartened. Why? Because they're about ready to quit. Encourage them in the faith. Encourage them in their life. Encourage them so they don't give up. Why? We don't want them to go back to their old life. We want them to stay alive in Christ and refreshed. And, and they, we don't want them to quit because they're going through something difficult. Encourage people to keep them from quitting. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And there's a challenge, right? Be patient with everyone we don't want to see people go back to the old way of life i've been doing a um, a daily devotion challenging me in my life and there's been these moments where you know we have these delays when when we're expecting god to do something and in those delays god's shaping me and my character and who i am but there's times where i feel like i need i I just want to give up throw my hands in the air and quit encouragement helps me through this when I have another brother or sister that comes along to me and says, man, you're doing a great job in the middle of that. Man, that lifts me up and makes me keep going. Or even they come alongside me and say, you know, God is doing something in your life and I don't see it, but somebody else does. That encouragement lifts me up and moves me forward. So why do we encourage others? We encourage others to keep people from quitting. Acts 11. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. What's the news? That there's this tension, dissension, there's this struggle, there's this stuff that's, that's happening. And who do they send? They send Barnabas. And, and Barnabas is, the, is, is known as the son of encouragement. I think that's what his name means. And so he's known as this encourager. So they send Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, what the grace of God had done... He was glad and encouraged them all. So there's, there's tension, but there's also this great uplifting moment. There's stuff going on. And when he saw what was happening, and even though they wanted to quit, he saw what was happening, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their heart. Oh, yeah, I need to keep going. Yeah, I need to keep working. He's firm. He's saying, stay firm in your heart. Stay true. Remain true. Remain true. And he's encouraging them. And he's encouraging them. Why? So they don't quit. Because maybe they've gone through some tough times. Maybe there's been some tension. You see, encouragement is never small when you're on the receiving end of it. And he's saying, listen guys, God's doing some really great things here. Stay true. Stay firm. Stay connected to the word. And he's encouraging them. And so they won't. So why do we encourage others to keep people from quitting? What else do we do? We encourage others to draw out potential in others. We encourage people to draw out potential in others. Let me give you two examples. One Old Testament, one New Testament. Three examples, I guess. One Old Testament, one New Testament, one personal. We draw out potential in others. This is why we encourage people. Joshua had been at Moses' side for a long time. Now Moses in Deuteronomy is telling the people, it will be Joshua. It will be Joshua who will lead them into the promised land, which Moses was banned by God from entering. So, 
there's this encouragement beginning to happen. Look what happens. Deuteronomy 1. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also. Sorry, because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter it either, being Moses, but your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. So Moses, Joshua, remember this, this moment where the Israel is going to go into the promised land? And, and Moses is being told that he'll not enter it, but his assistant Joshua is. Look what he says. Encourage him. Encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. Encourage him. I, I'm pretty convinced at this point that Joshua just feels like he's second in command. That he's just following Moses. I mean, following Moses. Like Moses. Remember Moses, what he did? I mean, Joshua probably feels a little inferior. Probably doesn't feel quite like he should to lead an entire nation into the promised land. Encourage him. Encourage him. Him because he will lead Israel. So, so there's this challenge for Moses to 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 draw out the potential of Joshua because Joshua has the potential and Joshua will lead the people into. Say, encourage him. He will. He will lead them. He will lead them. He will lead them. Encourage him. Encouragement. Encouragement draws potential out of others. When leaders begin to encourage. Others, they're drawing potential out. That's why we encourage, one of the reasons why. Moses asked the people to encourage Joshua. There's another moment that we have in the New Testament. It's, it's interesting, we're going to get to the full story of it later on, but there's this moment where um, Paul is calling for John Mark or Mark, the writer of the second gospel. Yet there's some backstory here in Second Timothy. Now I want to paint this picture for you. Only Luke is with me, uh, Paul writes. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. So he's writing this letter telling Timothy to bring Mark with him. Now, the tension here is Mark, and we're going to see this a little later on, but in Acts, Mark and Peter, or Paul, sorry, had this riff. And they didn't want any, Paul didn't want anything to do with Mark because Mark had turned his back on Paul on one of his missionary journeys. And yet, here he is saying later on, saying, you know what? Bring Mark with you. Bring Mark with you. Please, please bring Mark with you because he is helpful to me. This relationship had to have been mended and now he's encouraging Timothy. He's encouraging Mark. So when Timothy comes to Mark and says, Paul's asking you to come with me. He's saying, you need to come with me because you're helpful to him. It's going to change that relationship and that dynamic. It's drawing the potential out of people. I had a young lady when I was in Cambridge. A young lady who felt like she was... Uh, just cruising through life doing, she was a young adult, she was just going to do whatever, she didn't know really what she wanted to do, so she tried this and she tried that, and she's working here and she's working there, and we're sitting in a, in a youth gathering, in a big youth uh, leadership training, and she was one of my youth leaders, so I said, come to this, and God was shaping something in her. So I just said, hey, would you consider leading worship for us? 
in her youth program. And she looked at me with her knees kind of shaking. I said, you want me to do what? I said, no, I, just, just a week. It's all good. Knowing in my head and in my heart that, that God was calling her and shaping her. She finished and, and I had talked with her and I talked about how well she did and genuinely how well she led. And then I just did encourage her and I kept encouraging her. And finally I encouraged her to say, why don't you just step out? And would you consider leading worship for me? Every other week, once a month kind of thing. And she said, sure. And in this process, God was shaping in her. And now she's off at Bible College in Portland, where she's getting her education to become a worship pastor. And she's being trained theologically. And she's called and gifted to lead worship. Because when we encourage, we draw potential out of people that they may not see, but God has placed in them. Why do we encourage? We encourage to draw potential out of others. We encourage to keep people from quitting. We encourage to help people see God in tough times. We help encourage to help people see God in tough times. How many of you have been through a tough time in your life? And it's hit you like a ton of bricks. And yet people walk alongside of you and they encourage you and they share the word of God with you and they help you. Because they help you see God in the middle of it. They help you see God in the midst of the storm or in the midst of the chaos or in the midst of the hurt. Consider it pure joy, as James said. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is encouragement for us. That that when God tests us, it produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may may be mature and complete. Not lacking anything. Mature and complete. Not lacking anything. Encouragement helps people see God in the midst of tough times. Romans, Paul writes in Romans 8... And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Now, God works, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. He works things for the good. But we still, at times, face difficulties and challenges and encouragement helps us to see God through it maybe you've experienced I know I have in my life moments when I've been facing challenges one of the biggest challenges I faced was when I was 16 and my grandfather passed away and I had pastors I had friends that helped me to see God in it it took a while but they encouraged me and helped me to see God in it Encouragement helps us, gives, helps, sorry, is to help other people see God through tough times. Encouragement is also to strengthen others. When we encourage people, we begin to strengthen others, to make people stronger in their faith. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the The Lord, He's strengthening them even though He's suffering. He's encouraging them. He's saying, listen, even though my chains, there are people who are becoming confident in the Lord because of what He's doing. And dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's encouraging the people. He's strengthening others. He's saying, listen guys, I'm chained, but the people who have seen me are now living out their faith even more. You can do that too. 
encouraging to strengthen others. Or as Proverbs says, 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Encouragement helps to strengthen others. Helps to, to help people see God in tough times. To draw potential out of others. To keep people from quitting. And lastly, I'd like to suggest this. is to strengthen the church community. If encouragement moves from six criticisms, one encouragement to this, it begins to strengthen the church community. Hebrews verse 10 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Not giving up that time together. Not giving up spurring one another on. But encouraging one another. Why? To strengthen the church community. You see, why do we encourage? Why, is, why, why are we talking about encouragement? It seems like a, a very silly message to talk about. Well, you may say that, but when our culture paints this picture, we need to really live this picture. We kind of need to understand why we need to encourage. So why do we need to encourage? To strengthen the church community, to strengthen others, to help people see God in tough times, to draw potential out of others, to keep people from quitting. We're, 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 we're encouraging to we're encouraging people to help them grow in their faith we're encouraging others to step out we're encouraging others and that encouragement builds up the church encouragement is significant and if it's not urgent then we drift towards criticism okay so That's great. What are some applications? Let's talk about it as we close here. Applications for encouraging others. Here's some application. Here's some things that you can do to help encourage others. Maybe it's practical for you. Maybe it's more difficult for you. But here are some applications that you can take to encourage others as you move out of here moving forward. Here's the first thing. Make a choice to get in the game with others. What does that mean? That means that you're going to choose to actually be involved in other people's lives. When you decide to step into other people's lives and encourage them, you're making a decision to get in the game. Remember Barnabas, Paul, or sorry, Paul and uh, and Mark's tension. Let me play that one out for you a little more. So in Acts chapter 13, Mark is on the first missionary journey with Paul, but he turns his back on him at Pamphylia. These missionary journeys were trips in which Paul would go and plant churches. And Mark makes the decision partway through to say, I'm not going there. And he turns his back on Paul. And this causes some tension. And we begin to see this really unfold in Acts 15 when it's time for the second missionary journey. And Barnabas wants to take Mark with him, but Paul wants nothing to do with him. In Acts chapter 15, he says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached and the word of the Lord, where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Let's go back to them. Let's go back so we can encourage them, so we can lift them up, so that we can help them to continue on in this relationship with God, so that we can help them to stand firm. Let's go back there. Let's do it. Let's go back on another trip. And they both get all excited about it. And Barnabas, then Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him. He didn't think it was wise to take him. Why didn't he think it was wise to take him? Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So Paul didn't think it was wise because he's already seen it happen once. Now we're getting into this moment last week, remember? Expectation, experience. Paul expected John to stay with him. He experienced that he turned his back on him. So in this gap, he chose to assume that he would give up instead of believing in him. So there's this tension that's now at play. And they had such a sharp disagreement. I think this is a nice word for... They had an argument. A big one. They blew up at each other yelling that they parted company. You ever had a family conversation like that? Where you had a sharp disagreement and then you forget it and you parted company? Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Here's what I want you to catch here. That Mark could have been ruined because of this tension in this battle they're arguing over whether he should go or he should stay they could have destroyed his potential in what he had done remember now in in timothy paul saying bring him with you because he's helped to me but here he wasn't helped they could have ruined the, the, the potential and the call that Mark had. Mark, the writer of the gospel. Because of this tension and this fight. Because there was no encouragement. And, and Barnabas, who recognizes son of encouragement, comes alongside and says, Mark, you come with me. You're going to do great things. And he encourages him. And he takes him with him. He's willing to get in the game. And when he gets in the game, he begins to unlock potential in his life. So what's an application for you in encouragement? Choose to get in the game. Maybe there's someone who is considered an outcast like Mark was in this conversation. That you can come alongside and you can get in the game with. And you can encourage them. And you can walk with them. And you can teach them. And you can help them. And you can continue to encourage them and lift them up. Get in the game. Barnabas was willing to get in the game with Mark. And to encourage him. And we see the potential that was unlocked. Application number one. Choose to get in the game with others. Sometimes we find it way easier and way more comfortable to just sit on the sidelines. But I think we're called to get in the game. And that sometimes means it's going to be messy, but we get in the game just like Barnabas got in the game when it was messy. It didn't matter. He got in the game and he encouraged Mark. In fact, it happened to Paul when Barnabas 
got in the game with him initially after the road to Damascus and with the apostles. Get in the game. Second application. Display, this is simple, but sometimes challenging. Display a positive attitude. That's easy. Yeah, try it. It's not always easy. Encouragement has to be positive. Have you ever had an encouraging word that was negative? Just think about it for a second. It doesn't happen. Positive. Positive. Jacob learning to ride his bike without training wheels. That's an adventure whenever you try and teach a child to ride their bike without training wheels. The first time he started, like a good dad I was, I was telling him everything he was doing wrong. Look forward, pick your feet up, stay straight, don't fall over. What are you doing? No, 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 don't do that. No, 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 no. And uh, it might have been my wife that pointed out, probably was because she's a smart lady. Start telling him what he's doing right. He gets on the bike. Jacob, you're doing a good job. Jacob, that's it. You got it. And he starts riding. Don't look down. And he looks down. No, 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 no. You're doing a good job. And he gets it. Negative, he falls off of it. Then he falls in a ditch, into water. Doesn't want to get back on the bike. I don't blame him. But you know what we did? You can do it. You did an awesome job. You got all the way to here. What did he do? Got back on the bike and rode home. Encouragement needs to be positive and a positive attitude. My dad tried to teach me how to drive standard. I think I was told this story. Oh my. It was like, what are you doing? Can't you hear the clutch engaging? I'm like, clutch engaging? It's the first time I've been in the car. I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and all of this like, duh, brake, turn. I mean, teaching someone how to drive. It's all this great. I mean, but if you change your attitude to positive and start saying, hey, if you could, you know, you're doing a great job. You're doing a good job. Keep going. Keep doing it. Oh, that was, a, that was a great shift from first gear to second gear. Make sure, oh, I'm glad you put the clutch in soon enough. A positive attitude. Making it positive. Always looking at the positive, not the negative. Here's another application, the last one. Instill faith in others. Most people just need someone to have faith in them. Most people just want someone to have faith in them. And let me tell you this. When you, put your, when you tell them that you have faith in them and you really have faith in them, they can do amazing things. No joke. I am amazed at what my children can do when my wife and I just have instilled faith in them, they blow us away. The people you know are just waiting for you to encourage them and have faith in them. And it'll change. They'll do amazing things. People achieve great heights if they know that people believe in them. Last story. At a young 
14-year-old. Moved to, I moved to Goderich to start pastoring, a youth pastor at the church there. And I walked into a youth program that was in the midst of major transition. All the leaders were going off to school. All the worship team was gone. All that was left were a bunch of grade 9s and 10s, 8 9s and 10s. And I had a grade 9 student that was shy but was incredibly gifted in music. And uh, as the summer rode on and we got near the fall, I I, I looked at him and I said, his name's Sam, and I said, Sam, you're going to lead worship in youth starting next week. And he looked at me. He's like, you want me to lead worship? I said, yeah, I believe you can do it. He said, me. I said, yes, you. He said, are you sure? I said, absolutely. So he got up on his piano and he picked all the songs and he led worship. He did a good job. I said, you're going to do it next week. He said, okay. Went through the school year, put him in multiple times. The following, that later in the year, I told him he's going to, lead worship with us on Sunday mornings. He said, me? I said, yeah, you can do it. So he started leading worship on Sunday morning. That summer, he went off and tried out for Canadian Idol. I told him, you can do it. I believe you can do it. Made it, to the, made it into the last vote before the top ten. Young kid, literally, ten, grade ten. came home I said you did an incredible job I said thank you I sat with him for the next year as he did co-op with me I just believed in him I told him that God had a future for him had potential for him I put my faith in him he knew that he that somebody believed in him he was leading worship for me when I left he let me know that was a grade 11 year he let me know that he sorry grade 12 year he let me know he says I'm going to Bible college in the fall Went out to Vancouver Bible College in, the, in uh, that fall. Within a year and a half of being in Bible College, he started leading worship at one of the largest churches in, in BC. A um, year later, his worship pastor resigned and the church hired him as a worship pastor. Here's a small, a young kid from Godrich, Ontario. God had a call on his life. He just needed someone to have faith in him and believe that he could do what he could do. Encouragement. Application. Instill faith in others. We all have the potential. We can all walk alongside somebody. I did nothing special. I did not teach him how to play a single instrument. I did not teach him how to do anything. Other than I said, you can do it. And I pushed him to do it. And I challenged him to do it. And I told him I believed in him. And I encouraged him along the way. People will achieve great heights if they know people believe in them. See, here's what I want you to catch this morning. I want you to catch that that our culture is living in this reality. And that we need to find this magic formula and move here. And start making encouragement a part of our life 
every single piece. Not because we want to be all fluffy and, and make people feel good, but because we believe that as we're encouraging them, we're building them up to fulfill the potential and the purpose that God's called them to. We're lifting them up so that God, we're, we're encouraging them to f- pursue the dream or the, or the plan or the purpose that God has for them. And we're walking alongside of them because we're in the game. We're encouraging them positively. And we're instilling faith in them that we'll see them achieve things that God's calling them to do that we could never do. Because God's called them to. And we've changed our thinking from 6 to 1 or 1 to 6 to 5 to 1. Well, not only that, it'll change our relationships with each other. It'll change this church dynamic. It would change our community drastically so I challenge you this week and everything you do to find ways to be more encouraging to strengthen people to help people see God through tough times to draw potential out of others or to keep people from quitting find a way to encourage make it a part of your life get in the game with others be positive and still faith in others the encouragement app. We're going to close the series just by this. Worship team, if you want to come up. I pray and I hope that in our personal lives, in our moments of uh, quiet time, that we would, that this would stir in us, that we would find ways to apply what we hear. Because application makes all the difference. That we would apply and find that rest in Jesus. That we would be people who trust each other, who believe the best. And when we can't choose to trust, that we choose to have a conversation. To say, we want, I want to trust you, help me. And that we would be a church that's encouraging and building people up. Lifting people up. Unlocking the potential that God's placed in them as we encourage them. So this week, I challenge you, find a way to put this stuff into practice. Because application makes all the difference. Would you stand with us? We're just going to close in a word of prayer. And then we're just going to take a moment and worship. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor, can we take time just to pray for a need or for me personally or for a situation that I'm dealing with. As we're worshiping, we just open the front and myself and Pastor Andrew and the elders are willing to pray with whoever's here, whoever would like prayer for whatever your need is.